you hear me okay now? <laughs> That's Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have grateful hearts that this same message that Paul so longed to give to the believers at Rome, we have with us today through your written word. And we thank you, Father, for men and women down through the ages that you've called to minister that word to a world that was and is lost and dying without Jesus. And Father, as we go to the message today, we pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would give us that same longing, that same sense of debt to those who do not know you, that Father, we would reach out to them, that your word would touch them, and you've said that your word would not return unto you void but it would accomplish whereunto you sent it. So as we look at you, into your word this morning, Father, touch our hearts with that same message. And as Paul recognized, too, when he said that, uh, that they might be established, yes, faith brings us that salvation, but faith is also the way that we must live the Christian life day by day as we read and are taught your word. And we pray for that teaching this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. That's good. Thank you, Lonnie. If you're not already there, please turn to Romans chapter 1. 
Romans chapter 1 will be our text for the day, uh, several of those verses. I know many of you are wonderful with being encouragers with your words. I would encourage you to make that a part of your life if you can do that. Be intentional when you choose the words that you use. The Bible is specific about how big of a blessing that can be to others. If you're one that shares words that lift somebody else up. Every now and then, it happens that there are words that are said that lift somebody up that wasn't even intentional. It's something that got said, and it stands out, and it's a wonderful compliment. I can remember, I I mentioned this to Tina, these words. I said, whenever I hear somebody say this, that always stands out to me. My my ears perk up. Whenever I hear somebody say, oh, I'd like to hear what so-and-so has to say about this. I can remember years ago, one of our leadership meetings here at Calvary, and we were discussing something um, around the church here, and we had good people in a room that were going to make a decision. We had a good person that was on point with this project, and as we were talking through it, I can remember what they said, and it just caught my ear. They said, I'd like to know what Don thinks about this, is what they said. That's the question I have. What What does he think? And I wasn't quite sure why he said that. After some time, I got to understand why an individual who he considered to be the best expert in the church on that. Since that time years ago, whenever I hear that phrase, I'd like to know what so-and-so believes about this. Maybe some people are standing around and they've got an important decision to make. And they might say, you know, hold on a second. Before we make a final decision, I want to hear what Bob has to say. Or I want to hear what John has to say about this. I think that's a wonderful compliment. You are saying, let's not move forward. Let's not make any major changes or any decisions until we hear from this person. As we look into Romans chapter 1 today, what we're going to see is the Apostle Paul really gives this idea of building credibility with himself to give this message. And at the same time, he says some wonderfully, wonderfully complimentary things about the believers that are in Rome. And as he says these things that are so beautiful, then he gets to the point where he gives a foundation for the next 11 and a half chapters of what he's going to be teaching them. And so what we'll see in God's Word today is that there is an important message that needs to be given out. But before the message can be heard, there's a little bit more credibility that has to be established. And so I'm going to give you five points today in the message. And four of those points are this building credibility, one way or the other, either with Paul or with the believers there in Rome. There is a desire for this important message to be heard. So that is about 80% of what we're going to talk about. And then Paul lays it out there. There is a gospel message, and it's going to require you to accept some unlikely components. All that to bring us to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And typically, when we come to the end of our study, I give you some things what you can do. I will do that again today, but I've also phrased our main points with applications that you can do right for yourself. So hopefully, as we look through um, these verses here, you will um, find some applications right to your life because they're right in the main points, all right? 
And so as we get started here, we'll begin with that first verse in our text. And the first thing that I want us to understand we need to be doing, and we see Paul talking about this with the believers in Rome, is we need to be building a good reputation. You need to have a practice in your life of building a good reputation. Look at verse number eight again. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So there's a couple things that Paul commends them for here. First of all, he commends them for their good name. Paul had not been to Rome where these believers were at, and yet he had heard about them. When he would go with the gospel message or talk to a group of believers from somewhere else, it came up. These people, these Christians in Rome, this is what's going on with them. And I can just imagine um, the, the talking, the stirring in the groups and how some people couldn't wait to tell the Apostle Paul about somebody they met and what's going on there in Rome. It does his heart good to look to what was his home area, to look to what was his citizenship, and to get a good report about that. And he expresses his gratefulness for that. And we can understand this, right? Is it hard for us to understand when someone is excited when they hear about something positive that's going on in their home? Maybe their hometown, maybe their home church. I have that experience on a regular basis. I will sometimes get a card from someone who I've never met before, but they used to attend this church, and they have heard that things are going well. Maybe they used to sing on the radio station when they were a kid. You would not believe how many times I hear that. I used to sing on that radio station when I was a kid, WMPC. And people, even though they might be far away, it does their heart good to hear that something good is going on in their home church. The Apostle Paul, as a Roman citizen, he is thrilled that the believers in Rome have a faith. And it's, understand, this reputation, it's not just that they, they're flying under the radar, okay? It's not just that they were able to avoid getting arrested. They're going in their life, in their walk, to the extent where people are talking about their faith, the good works that's going on, the people that are getting saved there in Rome. And so a good name is built by knowing the right thing, but you also have to do the right thing to the point where it is something that is very sweet and very special. And then we find the second thing that he talks about there. And if you're taking notes, the next point here is we need to be building a prayer support. You and I need to build a good prayer support. Look with me at verses 9 and then the first part of verse 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. I cannot overemphasize the importance of a prayer support for you praying yourself, but then also having other individuals that are praying for you. And that's what Paul is saying here. I pray without ceasing. Now, sometimes when we think of the idea of someone saying, I'm praying for you, 
Sometimes that's received in a negative manner. Have you ever heard that before in a negative way or somebody received it in a negative way? I know I've said that to some people. I saw somebody and I had been praying for them and so I say that line that I like to say, oh, I've been praying for you. <gasps> Sometimes they get defensive right away. You've been praying for me? What, 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 what did I do? What, I don't understand why you've got to pray for me. What's going on? And that's not what Paul is doing here. There is definitely a place, as the song goes, standing in the need of prayer where we do need to lift somebody up who's going through a difficult time. But I think as we look at this here, the Apostle Paul says, I am not stopping my prayer for you guys. And it comes right on the tail of because of the incredible things that are going on there. And so we understand that the prayer is not just needed when things are dark. But Paul says, you guys have great things going on there. And I think because of that, Paul says, I'm not going to stop praying. It is my opinion that when the devil takes a look at us, takes a look at us as believers, as a church, if he doesn't see anything happening that's advancing the cause of Christ, that's really turning an area upside down, making an impact, I think the devil is just fine to kind of leave them be. But if people are becoming followers of Christ, if people are growing in their walk with Christ, the devil is going to attack. He's going to do something to get in there to stop that. And so Paul says, you guys have so much great things going on, and because of that, I am not going to stop praying for you because we have an enemy. We have an enemy. Now, this next one that the Apostle Paul gives in this building of his case so that he can get to the main point and the wonderful lessons that we get is found in verses 10 through 13. And what we see here is as believers, we need to build two-way relationships. And I'm going to get on my soapbox just a little bit. If you've been around for a while, you know that I strongly believe that every follower of Jesus Christ should be part of a local church. And when I say part, I don't just mean attend, I mean be a part. You are investing in others, others are investing in you. And I think we find that in these verses here. Let's look again starting in verse 10. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may mutual, be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Let's stop right there and talk about a couple things that the Apostle Paul says. Rome is, as I see it in Paul's life, Rome is at the top of the list of where Paul wants to go. He talks about it. He talks about it here. He talks about it later on, I believe, in chapter 15 of Romans. I want to come and see you. He had not been there in person. He had heard about them. They're having some problems, so he sits down to write this letter. But I think that Rome was at the top of Paul's list. And he gives a couple different reasons for why he wants to go. And both of them have to do with a harvest. 
He says, first of all, I want to come and see you because I can be a help to you. I'm convinced with the task that God has given to me, I can be a help to you as a church family. But it's not just one way. He says, as I come, as I work with you, I am going to be incredibly blessed. Now, I wonder how many of you might have a question mark go off in your head when I say that. Paul says it here. Does anybody think that maybe Paul is just being kind? I mean, right off the bat, he says, well, I'm going to be a blessing to you. Well, I better say you're going to be a blessing to me too. Is that what he's getting at here? One Bible teacher um, went through this section and he said, what in the world could these believers in Rome have to offer the Apostle Paul? And he is skeptical of what Paul is saying there. I'm not skeptical one bit. I'm completely convinced that the Apostle Paul would not feel complete unless there was a local church body that was building into him. This is not a weakness on his part that he needs a local church to be a blessing and encouragement to him, that they would work to help him and to bless him, not at all. It's a two-way relationship. Paul says, and we all accept it very easily, I have something that I can help you with. You need my help. God has gifted me, and I have a burden for you, and as I come, I'm going to help you. But then he also says, you're going to have fruit. When I come, you're going to be such an encouragement to me that you're going to have fruit that is built up. And it's beautiful. And you and I must establish a two-way partnership. Myself pouring into others in a local church family and allowing myself to be poured into. A lot of people don't mind pouring into others because you're not as vulnerable. If you're using your gift, you're doing what you need to do, well, that's not making yourself very vulnerable. But if you make yourself a little bit dependent upon others to where you can be let down even. You're invested in this group. That is a beautiful picture of what God wants in these two-way partnerships. So first of all, Paul says, I can help you. You're going to be a blessing to me. There's a harvest on both sides. And that's true. But then he says something else in that message there. When he talks about wanting to come and visit, he says, I've been wanting to come and visit, but I've been hindered so far. Now, this begs the question, hindered by who, right? And as we study um, other texts from the Apostle Paul, we see he gives at least two different people the credit for when hindering takes place. At least two times in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, I was hindered by Satan. He doesn't give us the details here, so we're not exactly sure what he's talking about. He says, I was hindered by Satan on a couple of occasions. And then also, sometimes the Apostle Paul will say, I was hindered by God or by the Holy Spirit. So which is it here? Is that a good question for us to ask? And even more so, how about for us today? If God is putting a desire within my heart to do something, like was on Paul's heart here, and it stopped... Who's hindering it? 
I'm doing everything that I can on my side to make this happen, but it's just not happening. And so is it the devil or is it the Holy Spirit? There are some people that get um, way too out of whack on both sides here. There are some people who think the devil is behind every bush, right? The devil's behind every bush. And anything that happens that they don't think should have happened, they blame the devil automatically for it. Sometimes looking right past themselves who might be responsible for that unfortunate occasion. And there are some people who don't want to give God, who want to say that God doesn't have power or control to change these things. And so for our purposes, we need to have a good understanding of this. And when you make an observation, there's an obstacle there. Let me give you just a small little tool that you can use, and this might direct you, whether it's the Holy Spirit that's hindering something or the devil hindering something. And I get this by observing the, the modus, op, modus operandi of the devil. What tools, what means does the devil use when he is hindering something? Well, typically, over history, Satan's way to hinder something has involved lying or stealing or destroying. And so, if God's putting a burden in your heart, and you think this is what should happen, and it's being hindered, and you can find stealing or destroying as part of what is holding it up, or lying. Lying is keeping that from moving forward. Somebody's obviously lying. Then perhaps you might be able to say, it seems like Satan is hindering this from moving forward. On the other hand, if you make an observation, and this is something that you think you want, or maybe even, and we can give Bible verses for every side, right? Can't we do that? God has put this burden in my heart. God has given me this desire of my heart. We can give Bible verses to everything, but if it seems like it's not moving forward, it's not going like we want it to, and as we evaluate it and look at it, and we really can't see these negative things that are tearing it down. Really, the people that are involved in this are displaying the fruits of the Spirit. Then perhaps we can say it seems like God is stopping this. Paul doesn't tell us specifically here in this verse who's doing the hindering. But Paul does give us the beautiful picture that he has an unwavering faith that God is going to be able to use it either way. And you should have that too. You can have confidence that whether it is God that's holding something up or Satan holding something up, that God's plan will not be thwarted. And so he sees this partnership in mind. He wants to come to them. By the way, does, it eventually, does he eventually make it to Rome? Does he make it there? He does make it there, but he doesn't make it there. He doesn't make it there like he wanted to. Like he wanted to go and do the teaching and maybe spend time with them and use Rome as the hub for where the gospel would go out throughout the rest of the world because Rome was the center of the world at that time. Paul will make it to Rome, but how does he make it? He makes it in chains. He's a prisoner when he eventually goes. And he has confidence that God is going to use that either way. And then if you're taking notes, number four, we find a challenge here as Paul is setting himself up. We're going to get to this next. This foundational truth that they need to hear about, this message. But one more thing the Apostle Paul wants to say, it's in verses 14 and 15. 
I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And here's the application for you and I. I want to challenge us to have a life so it does not end on this side of heaven. Make lifelong payments on your debt. That's what we find here that Paul says. You and I need to be making payments on our debt to Jesus Christ for the rest of our life. Paul here says, I carry an obligation to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, that might not be very appealing to some of you, this idea of making payments for the rest of your life. Is that very attractive? And yet, that's what Paul says. I remember um, several years ago when uh, things were just booming in the whole country, really, before the housing market dropped out, my wife and I were just getting ready to purchase our first home. And as we were looking at um, options for us, I can remember one guy in particular that we went to talk to. And this guy, man, he had a really neat and different message. As we sat down and talked with this individual about purchasing a home, he talked through this plan that they had. And he said, we can get you a loan for this amount of money, which was a whole lot more than I thought. And then you kind of see these pictures of houses that you can buy for this amount of money. And then we sat down from this, this guy who was all of 21 years old in his wisdom. And as we went and, and talked through this situation, he talked to me through the details of the loan. Now, I will let you know, in my house, I'm not the smarter person when it comes to finances. Tina's much better at that than I am. It is a discipline to me to write the checks and pay the bills. That keeps me sharp as much as I can be. But she's always much quicker than I am when it comes to these things. And so when this individual was telling me the amount of money that I could get to purchase a home, I couldn't believe it. And then when he started to talk through the payments, I just, something wasn't quite connecting because you were only making payments on the interest of the loan. And no other payment was being made except for the interest. And so I'm, I'm kind of thinking about these big houses that we can get and, and what can happen from this. And it just, I just had to ask the question. I said, okay, okay, okay. But at what point do I own the house? And he said, oh, you never own the house. And I said, I never own the house. I said, I'm going to pay you this much every month. No, it's an interest-only loan. You only pay the interest on it. That's why I pay for 30 years or even more, and I never get to own the home. And for me, that was ridiculous. You know what sounds good to me? Not having a mortgage payment. That's what sounds good to me. Not having one for the rest of my life. I'm going to pay you this, and I'm never going to own the home. What a horrible, horrible thing. There were many people that signed up for that, and they got burned within just a few years. I want to suggest to you that what Paul is saying is going, there's going to be a payment, a debt that you're going to have for your entire life, and you will never have it paid off. But you don't need to hear that. You don't need to read the word obligation that the Apostle Paul gives and say, oh man, I don't want to be there. 
If it is God's will for your life, then you need to have within you that you want that to be part of your life. An obligation for the rest of your life. The Apostle Paul says, I have an obligation to the Gentiles. He's writing to many Gentiles, these believers in Rome. I have an obligation to the Gentiles that I will go and I will give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we look at this, the Apostle Paul does not apologize. He said, I'm under obligation. This is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. And he is not ashamed. He is not ashamed of that. And there should be an attitude within you and I that wants this for ourselves. I'll never have it paid off. And so what you do tomorrow is working towards that obligation, that debt that you have. You're making lifelong payments. And then let's go ahead and uh, finish up here with our final point. And this is the message, okay? So I said before, um, Paul is building some credibility. He is the Apostle Paul, and for most of us here, we'll say, that's good enough for me. If Paul said it, that's good enough. But what he's doing is he's building his credibility, I want to come to you, I love you, I want to help you because God's gifted me in that way, and you're going to be a help to me, all these beautiful things, I've heard great things about you, and then he gets to verses 16 and 17, which is the foundation for the next 11 and a half chapters, where it says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So he starts out by saying, I'm not ashamed. Typically, when someone leads with something like, you know, I'm not ashamed of this, Oftentimes, the reason they're saying that is because some people think there's something to be ashamed about there. I'm not ashamed of, and then I'm going to give you a couple things that he talks about. But many people, when they would hear that, they'd think, really? You're not, you're not embarrassed at all by that. There's nothing within you that kind of says, well, maybe I shouldn't be proclaiming this from the housetops. Let me ask this question. Are there some things in Christianity that you are accepting by faith? Some things in Christianity that people outside of the Jesus followers world don't quite understand? There are many things like that. You don't have to apologize for it if God's word says it. The apostle Paul here starts out by saying, I am not ashamed of this. This past week, we got the knock on our door. Uh, we, we were literally just had the food ready to eat. We were getting ready to pray and then a knock on the door. And I go and to see who it is. And I see a couple guys there that are kind of dressed up and they had name tags. And so I said, oh, it's a couple missionaries is what I sent. Not the kind of missionaries that we send out, but a different kind of missionary. And when the people in my house hear that, they know it's not going to be a quick uh, conversation typically. Um, I typically don't tell them what I do for a living. This time I did. I knew we were ready to pray for the food. We were getting ready to eat. But everything that I know about the Mormon religion, 
that really holds any water, I learned from talking to another Mormon. If everything you know about Mormonism was taught to you by an Episcopalian, you're probably not learning from the right person. Does that make sense? And that applies to all the denominations. If all you know about Catholicism was taught to you by a Baptist, maybe you're not getting the best resource, right? So anyway, I, um, I didn't want to have a long conversation. It was cold outside, and I have a short conversation with these gentlemen. And I just cut right to the chase. I said, no, I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor at a church here in town. Oh, where at? And I told them where. And as we're talking, I just gave them what I learned is my main struggle, okay? And I'm always waiting to see their facial reaction. Yeah. Are they embarrassed about this at all? Because I think, you know, I've got, the, I've got the gotcha, the gotcha question right here. And as I have talked through in individuals in the past, I have learned from their literature and from the conversation that they believe that Jesus Christ started the church, and then we had the 12 apostles that were there working in the church. And then, and I, I form in the, in, in the way of a question. I say, from what I understand, when the last apostle died, no one at that point was a Christian or a follower of Christ or went to heaven after the last apostle died until Joseph Smith was born. Is that correct? And I expect to see on their face what I'm thinking inside, which is, this is ridiculous. There's nothing in God's word about this. And as I say that to them, the guy just nods his head, yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly what we believe. And I, so I say, okay, well, whenever you go back and you talk to whoever's doing the training, you can tell them, for me, that's my biggest struggle. My biggest struggle is something, a message that's not in the Bible, that no one would go to heaven, no one would be a follower of God when the last apostle died up until Joseph Smith, or yeah, that's right, yeah, right, was born. And they shook their heads, yes, and they owned it. They owned it. They said, that's right. And then he gave me a reference, not in my 66 books of the Bible, but in another testament that they, they have, the, the Mormon Bible. They said, go and read this verse here. And I don't want to read that verse there. I'm not going to believe that. They were not ashamed one bit. They were bought in. They said, yep, that's true. And I think this just tears out the foundation for your belief system. The Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed. And then he gives a couple things that are there. First of all, he says, I'm not ashamed. And if you fast forward right to the end there, he's talking about the righteousness of God. Now, many people outside the walls of this place when they hear you talk about God, eternity, heaven, salvation, and you start to give the message, I am not ashamed that I can't do it. Some people hate that message. You might know some people that are real go-getters. They've been very successful in their life, maybe on, on their job, maybe in their family, maybe in their finances. There are many people who are able to do many things they believe on their own. And so when they get this message that you are unable to earn God's favor, you're unable to get to heaven except by the, and here's the, the big word for the day, you can make this your study if you want, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only way that you are good enough is because God the Father looks upon His children and He does not see that you were good enough. 
kept the Ten Commandments, you um, kept this list, whatever it might be. You can't do it. And the, the expectation, the demand, the demand that we constantly find through the Scriptures is be perfect, for I am perfect. And how many people try to go down that road? Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be perfect. And maybe you're like me, and you're going to give it your best, and you try it out. And you find out it's impossible. I cannot do it. I cannot make myself righteous enough to please God. Paul says, I am not ashamed to tell you that I can't do it. The righteousness of God is what he sees when he looks upon me, and it's only because Jesus Christ took my sin on the cross. And if you will not humble yourself and accept that you cannot be righteous enough to please God, you have to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. And you're going to find yourself failing. You're going to find yourself sinning. And I think this picture, I'm not going to be ashamed of the imputed righteousness of Christ, I think this is one of the best arguments that we have for eternal security. The security of the believer, can I lose my salvation or not? This is one of those topics that people fight about and argue about and churches divide over. And brothers and sisters, if you were never good enough in the first place to earn God's favor, then just because you sin doesn't mean you're going to lose that. He's not looking at you earning it. He's looking at the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He was perfect. Jesus Christ not only lived a perfect life, but he died on the cross for us. And we love that he died and he conquered death but he lived a perfect life. And God looks at him, and if you have accepted that gift of salvation, he looks at you, not because you're good enough. Listen, when you got saved, God knew you were gonna be messy, all right? When he looked at you, he knew you were gonna mess up. He knew you were gonna fall. He knew you were gonna be dirty. God knew all of that. That's the whole point of the cross, You can't be good enough to earn it. The righteousness of God is placed upon you because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Paul, and he's up there, right? I mean, have we seen his resume in other places in the New Testament, right? The Apostle Paul is up there. He couldn't earn it. You can't earn it. It's because Jesus Christ was perfect and because we humble ourselves and come to him and ask for forgiveness. And Paul says, I am not going to apologize that I need this. And then he talks about the just shall live by faith. Do not apologize for living by faith. And people who are successful, people outside of church world, they might see you and they think you've got a lot going for you except for this one crutch that you have in your life. They'll talk about you maybe with their spouse or with a coworker. That guy, man, he's got it all together except for that one crutch of religion. And that's my word, crutch. And I want to suggest to you, don't be afraid of that word. Do not apologize that you need a crutch of Jesus Christ or a crutch of your faith. You need that crutch because without it, you're going to spend eternity separated from a God who loves you. 
Do not apologize for the fact that you can't do it. You can't get saved on your own apart from the work of Jesus Christ, and you can't live that life. You need to understand that you are walking by faith, things that you can't quite understand, but you have confidence in it, and you're also doing your best. So I say walk by faith and by sight. We can discuss that if you want, but the idea is Paul already told them, I know about your reputation. What did that mean? It means they knew the things to do and they did them. So they have faith, but they are also doing the best that they can. So I like to say, do your best, trust God for the rest. All right, what can we do with these things? We've already seen these, but in case you want to write them down for your prayer request. First of all, A, ask yourself, is there something tangible that I or my church family can praise God for because of the partnership. It's a two-way relationship that God wants. So do not think that Paul is just being humble and being kind when he says, I'm going to benefit when I come to you guys. No, he will. Because that is the plan of our God. So ask yourself the question, is there something that I can point to that either I or else my church family can praise God because of that partnership. That's what God's going to keep doing until Christ comes back. B, pray for your church family and for their leaders. Pray for your church family. And I know there's a big group. I'd encourage you to get a directory and pray through that. But likely you're going to have somebody in the fellowship that you're closer with. Maybe somebody who you sit near or that you're part of a small group with in some way. Commit yourself to pray for them and ask them to pray for you. And just very, very specifically, a couple different ways we can do this. Paul said, I pray without ceasing for you guys. My thinking is, as Paul had on his heart, I want to come to Rome. I want to get to Rome. It's top of my list. Every time he thought of Rome, he probably prayed for these guys. So if you're not one that's praying without ceasing right now, you need to add this to your life. And so when you see someone who, uh, you see a car that reminds you of a family member, you pray for that person. Or when you see someone who reminds somebody, or you, see, or you hear a, a word that reminds you of someone, you pray for them. So there's the praying without ceasing side, but there's also the daily commitment. Can I tell you one of the biggest encouragements to me as a follower of Jesus Christ is when I have somebody tell, someone tells me, I, I pray for you. And every now and then somebody says, I want you to know that I pray for you every day. That's a commitment. And God wants us to be doing this, praying for each other. And then when it comes to these two big foundational ideas that he's going to talk about in the next several chapters, we need to trust God's unlikely plan for how we become righteous. Clearly, there's not some kind of an escape route to live however we want. You're not getting the message of what Jesus Christ did for you if you think that's the idea. But the picture is, is you can't be good enough to earn his favor. So trust, trust that all of your righteousness is like a filthy rag in the eyes of God. That's not a very good selling point, is it? Is that what you want to put on the front of the literature when you hand it out? You are a worm. Doesn't want to sell to people. 
But if you go down that road, you'll find out you can't be good enough. You cannot be righteous apart from the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And don't apologize for that. And then finally, trust God's plan that requires me to walk by faith and by sight. Trust his plan. It is good. Okay, the Apostle Paul's got us all set up. He's kind of done the greeting. He's talked about the gospel. And now he's building some credibility And now he's going to talk to these Jews, to these Gentiles, to these carnivores and herbivores. And he's going to say, I want you guys to understand not all the things that you have that make you different, but what you have that makes you the same. And that's the message he gives to us. We take an honest look at ourselves, and it's so beautiful that God has kept this record for us. First of all, to expose us to our need for salvation. And then after that, the beautiful, beautiful plan that God gives in his local church for us to work together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to you, we praise you that you hear us, and not only did Christ live the perfect life and keep the law perfectly and die on the cross, but when he left this world, he ascended. And right now, the reason why you hear our prayers is because of that great intercessor, Jesus Christ. I thank you that on the days where I feel dirty and, and down and like a failure, that I stand before you in that mental picture that's in my mind of Jesus Christ with his arm wrapped around me and you look down upon me, Father, and you see your son, Jesus Christ, and you say, I will accept you. I will listen to you. I will love you because of the work my son did. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask the piano just to play through just a small little bit. I'm gonna give you a chance to pray. Just before we sing... If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never understood that you cannot make it to heaven except for by humbling yourself and asking for forgiveness because Christ died for your sins. You can do that even during this time. Just pray and ask God to forgive you and make you his child. Maybe God's laid something else on your heart. Maybe it's in the area of prayer. Maybe in the area of serving or being served. Take a moment to pray whatever God's laid on your heart.